Broadcasting from the historic Habern Building in downtown Louisville, it's time for Single Payer Radio, a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. We are an affiliate of the Kentucky Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. We believe a national, publicly funded, privately delivered, nonprofit single payer system is the solution to the current dysfunctional system that values profit and stockholder returns over patients. And we are a longstanding community partner with WFMP 1065 Forward Radio. The views and opinions expressed on our show are those of the speakers and not the station. I'm Mark McKinley, a volunteer with the station. Single-payer radio can be heard on WFMP 1065 on Mondays at 2 p.m., Tuesdays at 7 a.m., and Wednesdays at 11 a.m. If you can't pick up our signal, no problem. You can live stream us at forwardradio.org. If you miss a show or want to re-listen, you can do this at forwardradio.org and go to our archives. WFMP is an all-volunteer station. We rely on the community for your ideas and funding. Join us. Again, go to forwardradio.org. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had author and medical journalist Suzanne Gordon talking about nursing in a top-down, profit-driven driven healthcare system. Earlier this week, I came across an article related to our discussion. It appeared in STAT, at stat.com, and the title of the article is Medicare Can Fix the Nurse Shortage in Hospitals. That was written by Linda Aiken and Claire Fagan, both RNs and professors of nursing. The article identifies factors contributing to the nursing shortage in hospitals, including, they did a poll, 47% of bedside nurses were experiencing high job-related burnout, and one-third were dissatisfied with poor working conditions. That poll was taken before the pandemic emerged. The authors proposed that, quote, there's no need for new legislation. The federal government can use its existing authority under Medicare to require safe nursing staffing. Ms. Aiken and Ms. Fagan write that, quote, the federal government can require hospitals participating in Medicare to adhere to specific quality standards unless including safe nursing standards. Now, Dr. Mike Flynn, Dr. Gene Shively. Mike? Well, good morning. <clears throat> good to be back again. Uh, let me begin with the usual disclaimer that any of the comments that I make today represent my personal views and do not represent the views of either the Department of Surgery or the University of Louisville. This is Eugene Shively. My views do not represent the... Uh, Taylor County Regional Hospital, nor the views of the Department of Surgery, University of Louisville. 
Our topic today is is going to be uh, an extension of what Mark just talked about, an um, top-down healthcare system. <clears throat> Uh, whether you want to call it administrative overload or administrative nightmare, you can make your own choices. Uh, so uh, in the beginning, uh, what I would like to do is just make a few um, broad comments about this and then ask Gene to talk about one of the key issues is where the money goes, and then we'll get into some of the specifics. So uh, just as a, <clears throat> as a beginning overview, when I came to Louisville, uh, uh, began clinical practice in 1971. Uh, it was a different world. Uh, most of the people in healthcare were providing healthcare. Uh, today, a uh, balance of power has changed so that there are probably more people in healthcare who are either administrators, bean counters, bureaucrats, whatever title you want to give them, than people who are actually providing care. So, um, uh, again, our discussion today is going to focus on who are they, what do they, what do, they do, and, and, and where, does, where does the money go? Uh, I would challenge our listeners to not believe anything that Jane and I say. Uh, and the purpose of the, this challenge is to have them... Uh, one, recognize that uh, we're not making this stuff up, and two, go to some reliable reference source and verify some of the comments and statements that we make. So let me begin with one, <clears throat> one, <clears throat> one or two statements, and then, and the first one I'm going to give a reference to, and then after that, most of what we say will not be followed with references. So beginning in the mid-1970s until the mid-2010s, there was an astonishing increase in the, the percentage of uh, bean counters, bureaucrats, administrators, a 3,000% increase, I'm going to say this again, between the mid-1970s and the mid-2010s, we had a three, over 3,000% 3, increase in the administrators and managers in U.S. healthcare. So uh, our discussion is going to focus on who they are, what they do, uh, and maybe to some extent, why are they there? But before we do this, Gene, when I first encountered you wandering <clears throat> around the first floor of the library... <laughs> two or three years ago before we went to the first single-payer meeting, uh, you went to the meeting and presented some really good information about the finances, how much money is in health care and how much money is not being spent on health care. So why don't you begin this program by laying that kind of foundation, and we'll, we'll move on from there. Well, we spend approximately uh, $3.6 dollars in healthcare, that represents approximately 18% of the GNP. Approximately a third of that is actually not uh, healthcare. For example, we're talking about administrative um, excess. Uh, we're spending approximately um, $760 billion on administrators. Uh, I don't mean just the CEOs of hospitals and various companies, 
but uh, all administrators, and that represents uh, approximately the budget of the entire United States uh, military. So who are these people? Uh, there, we've got nurses working in IT. We've got IT that we didn't ha have in the past. We have nurses and uh, people who are uh, spending most of their time coding, of which we didn't have to do um, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, we're getting uh, procedures certified, recertified. We've got multiple insurance companies. Uh, I think, what is the number, 300? Is it something like that? No, no. We have over 1,000 for-profit health insurance companies in this country. And each one of those companies uh, has a different requirement, a different form. Uh, so uh, the, the nurse is having to fill out, or not just a nurse, but the office manager or sometimes extra people we've hired has to fill out a different form for a different insurance company. And then they have different requirements for procedures, different requirements for x-rays, uh, laboratory procedures, etc. They're often denied, so we have to try to get them pre-certed or... Uh, after the fact, we try to get them to pay for the procedure. This creates a nightmare of, an, of administration. I'm sure many of you have called a uh, health insurance company and um, they don't uh, answer the phone or they leave you a message that they're too busy and they'll call you back and they never call you back. Uh, this... Uh, is an incredible problem. Sometimes uh, my office administrator will be on the phone waiting for over an hour to talk to someone. They spend a huge amount of time on the Internet. Uh, sometimes they get things done and sometimes they don't. These are the people that are being required for health care today. We also have... Uh, some unusual expenses that no other country has, like pharmaceutical. We're responsible for half of the entire drug bill in the world. I'm t I will repeat that. America spends about half of the money spent on drugs in the entire world. We have middle people in the drug industry call uh, pharmacy benefit managers, who um, manipulate the price of drugs, and uh, nobody seems to know exactly what they do, but I can tell you that one drugstore gets a better deal than another drugstore does for the same drug, and uh, if you don't believe me, you um, price your drugs at different uh, drugstores. For example, Kroger, CMS, may have different prices. Sometimes you can even get the drug cheaper by paying cash for it than using your insurance. It's uh, become overwhelming. Some uh, drugs that have been around for a long time, uh, like insulin, are, are, are hugely expensive, and nobody seems to know why. We have uh, other expenses uh, in this country that no one else has. We're the only country in the world that allows drug companies, hospitals, doctors, 
to advertise. Only New Zealand allows uh, truck companies to advertise, like on TV. I'm sure most of you are watching TVs, and at least half of the advertisements are about drugs. Most of these drugs are something that I've never heard of. I have to look them up. They're also extremely expensive. <laughs> the, uh, it's becoming a, uh, a nightmare, except for the, uh, the TV companies that are being paid uh, to advertise uh, some of these drugs. And no one else uh, in the entire um, world does that except uh, you can't watch the, the you can't watch the evening news without without having to listen to 20 minutes you know of, of news and, and then <clears throat> 20 minutes broken up in five minute sections about an advertisement for for some rheumatic rheumatic uh, arthritis drug or some other drug that's going to clear your skin so I it's kind of so that the fundamental issue here is that the presence of all of these administrators has has turned U.S. health care um, into a commodity as opposed to an essential public service. And, and so in this country, instead of having a health care system, again, this is, in, at least in my opinion, the most fundamental issue, we have a health care industry, and the industry views healthcare as a commodity uh, to be exploited uh, for profit. Now, the entire rest, almost all of the first other first world countries, um, the European Union, um, Scandinavian countries, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South Korea, um, uh, Saudi Arabia, not exactly example of raging socialism, United Arab Emirates and some S South American countries all have figured out ways to, to establish uh, a, some kind of universal health care so that all of their citizens um, are provided health care. Now, again, there's no perfect system, and there are many different ways these are these, these uh, countries have set up their systems and, and have funded them, but their basic goal is to provide health care for all of their citizens. Unfortunately, in this country, the, the, the health care industry looks at health care in this country uh, as a way of, of, of uh, uh, extracting profit from it. So I'd like to, I'd like to suggest, Gene, that we, we, we take four... Uh, four specific examples, health, for-profit health insurance companies that you've already mentioned, um, pharmacy benefit managers, um, the private equity uh, invasion into health care in this country, and lastly, uh, and what, what is most recent, is these direct contracting entities that are focused on, 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 on Medicare and an attempt to privatize Medicare by avoiding, <laughs> by avoiding Congress, which set it up in the first place. So um, let me make a few comments about for-profit health insurance companies, and maybe you could do the same, and we can sort of move around from one place to the other. Uh, as mentioned earlier, there are over 1,000 uh, for-profit health insurance companies 
in this country. Um, uh, we have other health care um, uh, providers or insurance in the company, Medicare, which covers uh, older people and some with disabilities, Medicaid, which is a federal government state uh, joint venture providing health care to folks with disabilities and, 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 and folks with uh, limited resources. Um, the, the military, uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, all provide health care to their, to their, um, their members, uh, their retired and their families. Uh, and with the goal of providing health care, and, and it's a much uh, a simpler system in many ways than the, than the health care system for the rest of the country. And we have the VA, which has got some challenges, but generally does a good job uh, providing health care uh, to the veterans. So the, the insane complexity of, <laughs> of health care in this country from the for-profit health insurance companies it is just astonishing the costs, uh, the complexity. Um, <clears throat> just to give you an example, um, we had Susan Bornstein on here. Um, actually, she was on twice. The last last program she did with us, uh, she talked about uh, her experience with um, the the health marketplace. This is a magical place that where the, the, the competitive medical marketplace supposedly will establish uh, uh, some standards, I, I guess, that, that, that <laughs> supposedly provide health care in this country. Anyhow, Susan is a retired um, a gynecologist. Uh, her husband is a dentist in solo practice. And uh, they're both too young for Medicare. And in her husband's solo practice, if you remember when she was on right. the program, uh, he said all of the other employees in the office, and it's a very small office, um, had, had insurance f f in other sources. So it right. was just Susan and her husband. <clears throat> so, well, so they go to this, um, this marketplace exchange, which was established by... The Affordable Care Act, and first thing uh, they noticed, or she noticed, was there was <laughs> just limited options. So after a lot of research and 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 and, and uh, getting into as much detail as possible, they found a plan. And I'm just going to talk about the cost of this, not just the complexity of all the issues there. So again, these are two people. Uh, who are, you know, I think could be identified as clearly upper middle class, so they've got resources. So the premium for a good plan, which, would, which had portability, because one of the issues that she identified in, um, in, in trying to find a plan is that if she wanted to leave Louisville and go live somewhere for two or three months, she wouldn't have any insurance except if she had to go to the emergency room. So, <clears throat> premium was $2,000 a month uh, with a $5,000 deductible. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's you know, think about this. I, I, you know, I, I, before I retired, was um, insured. I had health insurance from the University of Louisville, which is self-insured. 
they uh, contracted with one of the private insurance companies to manage the plan, but the insurance companies didn't have any profit seeking about they simply managed a plan the plan was set up by the university the different options were there and the premiums were established in university and the premium that i had to pay on a on a on a on a month uh, year and a monthly basis was a fraction of two thousand dollars a month and the deduction wasn't anything close to five thousand dollars and their total again this is susan and her husband their total out of pocket <laughs> the total out-of-pocket costs were $17,000. So, I mean, this is, this is something that the great majority of Americans couldn't afford. It couldn't come near it. So her total, their total annual fixed costs was $24,000, and the annual financial exposure health care costs... <laughs> was $41,000. Now, when you think of all the people in this country who are uninsured or underinsured, they don't even come close to this, and then you've got all this whole mass of middle class. How many of those people can afford to have that kind of exposure? So, uh, first of all, so they pay, uh, they have to pay out of pocket if they have your appendix removed or you go to see the doctor for, uh, you know, whatever, whether a respiratory tract infection or COVID or whatever, $5,000 out of pocket before the insurance company pays a dime. And then the plan that you have could be, as the way she explained it, was a 2080 plan or a 3070 plan. So after you've you, you paid your $5,000 for all of the health care before they start chipping in a dime, then for the next um, period of time, they pay 20%, 80%, and you pay 20%, or if you have a 70-30 plan, the insurance company pays 70%, you pay 30%. And that goes on until you've used up the $17,000 exposure. And, and uh, it, you know, it's just remarkable. And so you've got the, the, the uh, cost, you've got the portability issues, the fact that you're in a network, and if the plan locks you into a network, if you leave and go somewhere else and get sick, the only thing you can do is go to an emergency room. You, you, you're not covered for anything else because those people aren't in the network. You've got co-payments when you go into the office. There's surprise billing if you happen to be, you go somewhere and 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 you have uh, uh, you go to the emergency room because you 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 fell and you fractured your wrist and they they take an X-ray. The radiologist isn't part of the network and you get a bill from the radiologist, and coverage denials. So, this is just one example of one couple's experience with the, the private insurance industry in this country, health insurance industry. Well, th this is very common if you're self-employed and below 
the age of 65, you're really uh, caught. Yes. Not only uh, is there a problem with the cost, but it's extremely difficult to sort out all the different insurance plans and uh, uh, which one to buy. And some places, uh, there's a very limited um, uh, resource of what's available Parts. and that's exactly what the, that was the first thing susan mentioned was that w once they got into this this marketplace exchange <laughs> it was there nobody was selling insu health insurance i mean i don't know how they worked all the details out but it was it, that was one of the first uh, concerns that was identified gene let me just uh or uh, mike let me just say that you know you talked about there are over 1,000 insurance companies for-profit health for, insurance, for -profit health insurance right. companies i don't know if that includes and just to to give an idea of how many plans there are but with the medicare advantage plans you've got nine companies that have the ma plans or ma insurance you've got 3834 plans that are offered by these nine companies, okay? And, you know, when you talk about, uh, like for Medicaid, that's been kind of uh, outsourced to private insurance companies now. And then, you know, depending on who the governor of a state is, that determines what kind of plan you're going to be in and that can change every time the governorship changes we saw that in kentucky where bevan uh, tried to get through that you got to work for your medicaid um, uh, coverage and then you get a change in presidents where trump had one idea of what's going to be covered and then Biden comes in and you get another idea of what's going to be covered you change jobs then that's a whole new thing and it's and and if you stay with the same company they might change insurances each year you know depending on what what their human resources department it is I was under the ACA program for I sweated that out for about I don't know seven years and it was you know I was doing one and then I was told well you need to get a Medigap you need to get a gap insurance to cover what your insurance it is you got to have a degree in insurance coverage in order so you're not stuck with <laughs> Yes. You know, bankruptcy. Yes. No, exactly. It's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. And Susan, you know, was a physician for, for 35 years, and, and she was banging her head against the wall just getting through us. Just to get back to the, 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 the over 1,000 health, uh, for-profit health insurance companies, each of these companies have anywhere from 10 to 15 to 30 different plans. The really good plans, expensive plans, great. They cover everything, and 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 you know your insurance premiums are high, and you probably don't have to pay a dime for anything else. 
on the low end of the scale, you can get a program that doesn't discover anything. And the only thing you're paying for is some medical catastrophe. Uh, again, all these other countries in the world don't subject their 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 uh, their citizens to this. And and you're absolutely right. Once you and once you get into the plan, I mean, is getting into the plan. You're talking about the nightmare of getting into the plan. Then you have to go through all of these insane issues of of uh, pre-authorization if you gotta go have a um uh, a chest x-ray or a ct scan done for something or a procedure you've got to go through the pre-authorization you've got the deductibles you've got the total out-of-pocket costs and these are all different in in different plans uh you've got uh, the denial of coverage now you may have a plan where you, you didn't read the small print and you realize that you, uh, you, you can't get certain drugs or you don't have maternity coverage. And I mean, stuff goes on and on and on. Do you remember we talked to Ted Young, the surgeon from Hamilton, oh, yeah. Ontario, on one of the earlier shows? And, and he, you know, when I was in, in, in clinical practice at, at, with the University of Louisville and Surgery Department, I don't remember. We had a lot of people. We had one. Some people did pre-authorization. Authorization. Some people did billing. We we had to hire multiple members of staff to deal with all of these issues, so we could just do our clinical work and do our our academic work. Uh, this guy Ted Young, I think he said he had one person in the office. When they would do, they would do a procedure. That person would fill out a bill, and they would send it to one place. They would send it to the province, and then about two or three weeks later, they got a check. We we would often not be paid for something for for many weeks or months because of their their the the issue of authorization. Somebody didn't fill the form out correctly. The 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 the, the plan that the patient had. It didn't cover doing the CT scan before the procedure because another CT scan had been done somewhere else that wasn't adequate, and it goes on and on and on and on. Um, uh, when I went on Medicare, I actually had to consult someone and, in order to figure out <laughs> <laughs> what supplement plan I needed. <laughs> it, it was so complicated. I, I love it. <laughs> That I gave up. Now, uh, I I read several papers on uh, uh, the administrative cost of health care in the United States, and they all said the same thing. It's extremely complex, but no one had a good solution for them. I think uh, even in our current system that one of the solutions would be to standardize the forms, for example, every uh, everyone that has a, a thyroidectomy uh, uh, would have the same forms to fill out, or and every insurance company would be standardized. And uh, other examples of that um, are the banking industry. They're all heavily regulated, but they don't have this complex uh, paper thing that that we have. Uh, 
if we could standardize it, at least we could cut the some of the administrative cost. Now, just to show you um, how 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 much it cost us in Canada, it cost uh, $550 per year per patient. In the United States, it's $2,400. There are some people who think that it, by just eliminating the administrative cost in the United States that we could probably get our uh, health care costs down uh, maybe to 15%. Just for that one thing, that doesn't count the pharmaceutical problems, the advertising problems, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let, let's, let's uh, I think we've established that the for-profit health insurance company is more interested in profit than than providing health care. Let, let's move on. We, we could spend a, two more hours, you know, going through the, the nightmare of the for-profit health insurance. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the invasion of private equity firms into into to health care, which is, you know, another example of an escalation of the nightmare complexity uh, scenario. I so, just uh, I just found out about this by accident. Um, in a small town that I live in and the surrounding communities, uh, I had no idea that uh, private equity companies were taking over the nursing homes. And I found out just a few months ago that every nursing home in my county and the surrounding counties were now run by equity companies. 70% of the nursing homes in this country, which represents some of the most vulnerable city, citizens in the country, are run by private equity firms. And they've kind of sneaked that in on us. They don't tell everybody that that's, uh, that's going on. And if you want to get something done, for example, I was uh, about a year ago trying to... Uh, get some uh, contract to do wound care in uh, some nursing homes, and uh, the, the local people weren't making the decision. It was some corporate officer that lived way, that never heard of Campbellsville, Kentucky, uh, deciding uh, who got that uh, contract. And uh, they, act, they could actually save money because. Uh, right now, if they need to go, have a patient go to the wound care clinic, uh, they have to pay for the transportation. If they had a doctor going into their facility, you could directly uh, charge Medicaid or Medicaid, and it wouldn't cost the nursing home anything. It's just uh, totally uh, unbelievable. Now, the other thing that they've done, and this is very common in Florida, but it's now coming in uh, uh to Kentucky, they, they uh, one of our nursing homes, and I found this out by accident too. I was talking to a lady who worked at one of the nursing homes. The nursing services is provided by one company, administration by another company. The real estate company owns the building, and the services for uh, uh, food services are owned by another company. Uh, and yes, yeah, that, exactly. It's just and, incredibly complicated. Well, it's done on purpose because, it, it, and I've got a story. Let's talk about that a little bit. And I want to, there's another, I've got a story 
about um, uh, an incident that happened in a Florida nursing home. Just and that's and that, that, that's that's the issue. So the the goal of a private equity firm is very simple: to extract as much profit as possible out of this uh, the, the, this, this situation. And they're very explicit, very clear about this. So the firm purchases all or or the non-medical component of a medical practice in a nursing home, laboratory, pharmacy, you know, whatever medical entity that they they buy. And we've I've got some examples of of, <laughs> of a large dermatology practice. So they quote improve efficiency unquote. Now that generally involves decreasing the staff, uh, employing measures that, quote, increase profit, unquote, um, uh, which in turn generally uh, the impact of that is that decreases the quality of health care. They establish financial goals, encourage profitable activities um, with the anticipation of a return on investment, their investment of whatever component they, they purchased, <laughs> 15 to 30% a year. And then after three to five years, they're going to sell this and move on to and screw another one. This is, I mean, this is remarkable. It's fascinating. And, and you mentioned the business about the nursing home. Um, th- there's, a, there's a nursing home in Florida. And uh, again, I would challenge our listeners, don't believe this. Go, you can find this information on the Internet. I mean, there are all kinds of horror stories about elderly people left on toilets for hours, lying in bed with diapers filled with feces that aren't, aren't changed. And as you, just as you alluded to just a moment ago, Gene, there is a nursing home in Florida where his patient died of, of uh, he had a decubitus ulcer. And for our listeners, that's a large area usually on the lower part of the back where the skin has is gone because there are people just lying in bed on the skin and not moving around and there's a big ulcer there and this ulcer was infected by feces in a diaper that hadn't been changed the patient died family hired an attorney because they were unhappy with what happened and and they wanted to get a sense of some accountability now, one company, one company owned the building, one company ha- had the license to run the nursing home, and then there were another two companies that provided the professional staff and the custodial staff, and, 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 and there was a, there, there was, by the time they got finished, they had five or six different companies and three or four levels of, of, of accountability, and, they, and this is done intentionally. Because once you start, quote, improving efficiency, unquote, from a financial standpoint, that has an impact on, on, on the quality of care. Uh, I, and I think it's astonishing that we are, this is allowed to go on in this country, either in Florida or Kentucky or wherever you live. Uh, I want everybody to understand that, that I'm not opposed to the capitalistic system or equity companies. I mean... We all like to make money. The, the, the difference here is that medicine is a profession, and uh, our job is to take care of patients. It's not a profit uh, organization. And we've traditionally been a profession 
uh, since the Middle Ages, and our job is to take care of a patient regardless of their ability to pay. Where a uh, equity company or a stock company uh, sole purpose is to make money and provide a service, there's uh, there shouldn't be a conflict there except that we shouldn't be making profit on sick folks. And I think we need to emphasize that. It's only recently uh, that uh, profit and industry got into the healthcare uh, industry. Uh, Gene, I agree with you. And I, I also think, I mean, I think capitalism is a good system as long as it is regulated and, and there are rules. Right. And I think one of the things that's happened since the 1950s, and at least in my opinion, it began with the Reagan administration, was there was there became this idea that there, the, the government isn't the solution, government's the problem sort of thing. And they, the more they deregulate, the more things are 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 run by by corporate interests whose main goal is simply profit it's it's not when you look at healthcare industry and look at the for-profit insurance companies the private equity the pharma pharmacy benefit managers and these direct contracting entities they healthcare to them is is something to be exploited not something that needs to be nurtured and cultured, and that—that's—that's that's why we're talking about this stuff, and that's why we have, we have, and Mark, you know, talked when he was trying to sort things out, talking about bankruptcy. Well, we have 60% of the bankruptcies filed in this country are filed by folks who can't pay their medical bills, and that can be anywhere from 200 to 800,000 a year depending upon you know what happens year after year this is something that just doesn't exist in other first world countries i i looked this up i wrote a i wrote an article about this in louisville medicine a year or two ago and uh, i so i i tried to find out what was going on in the rest of the world because for some reason we don't seem to think about other countries having some intellectual ability and the only country that I could find anything about was France, which had one, count them, one medically related bankruptcy in 2017. Like the, um, you know, capitalism versus socialism, et cetera, that, that can be another discussion. Uh, although if you go to the um, Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare website, Wendell Potter, who used to be uh, a PR and spokesperson for Humana and I think it was Cigna, has now come away from the dark side and is shedding light. But there are some articles on the, on the website or on our Facebook page that talk about how it's socialism, these obscene profits that are going, being delivered to... Um, insurance companies, big farm, et cetera. It's socialism for the, the big, big guys. Um, you know, and it's not just sick people that the system is extracting money from. It's 
young, healthy families who are just trying to protect their yeah, families, yes, yeah. pr protect themselves from bank medical bankruptcy. They're trying to do the same, you know, do the right thing. And you've got family plans have increased 47 percent from 2011 until this year. And it's not only that increase in their premiums, but also the co-pays, the out-of-pockets, what, what these dudes call cost-sharing to provide incentives yeah, yeah. for overusing our system. It's, um, it's, it's not right. No, it's not. Let's just make a, let's talk about uh, socialism is a boogeyman that is brought up by and as 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 one of the things as the as the the uh, emphasis on hopefully providing better health care and 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 more and more organizations and individuals start thinking about something like a public option or which would be better Medicare for all. Uh, this is penetrating into the corporate uh, boardrooms, and and one of their 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 boogeyman. I heard McConnell saying something about this. Um, socialism. Uh, just think about Canada, Australia, New Zealand. These are all market economies. <laughs> they're not. They're not. It's not communism or socialism. They just simply have figured out a better a way to provide a government-run essential public service and health care in their countries. Saudi Arabia, as I said earlier, is not an example of raging socialism. It's got some really serious human rights issues. Um, uh, the European Union, uh, you know, there are varying levels of, 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 of uh, social programs in those countries, but uh, Germany is a good functioning market economy. So is France, so is Italy. Uh, the Scandinavian countries tend to have better um, social programs. Norway has a booming oil industry. So, you know, <laughs> the United Kingdom. None of these countries are, are, are run as, a, a, you, know, re, you know, prime examples of socialism. They're all market economies. Nobody's going broke by providing good health care to their citizens. Mm -hmm. So it's really it's just, it's just worrisome that there's this 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 intellectual blind spot in the political ruling class in this country about providing a decent health care. The uh, market economy has uh, been proven, in my opinion, uh, to be the best uh, system. It just has to be regulated. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, an example is the stock market crash in uh, 1929. The reason it crashed is because it wasn't regulated. People were borrowing huge amounts of money to buy stock, and then when the stocks start going down, everything uh, crashed. And it had to be regulated so that you couldn't do that. Jane, but, just one last uh, short comment that... There used to be uh, some teeth to regulation, but with all the dark money sloshing around in legislative uh, systems from local, state, and federal money that's unregulated money, those that are paying for their... <laughs> 
who are bankrolling their legislators are getting the regulation they want, which is not necessarily what the people deserve. Yeah. Now, how are we doing on time here? We've got about uh, less than 15 minutes. All right. Can we move on to pharmacy? Because I'd like to talk about pharmacy benefit managers. And uh, before we get off, we end up running out of time, the direct contracting entities, because that's 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 really a scary attempt to privatize um, a Medicare, which is a very good, very efficient program that has a two percent administrative cost, and 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 it spends ninety eight percent of the money that goes through Medicare on um, uh, uh, health care. The, the these these direct contracting entities, what they're looking at is a 60-40 break, and they just want to spend 60% of the revenue on, 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 on providing health care and keeping 40%. I mean, it's just... Let's. You you okay doing with the? Yes, I'd like to know more about direct contracting, brother. Well, let's do pharmacy benefit managers real real quick. We don't have because you've already mentioned that, Gene, and I. These are you know these are middlemen. All of these people are middlemen. They're all middlemen between either the government and the, the patient, or in the case of Medicare, or the patient and the physician in case of the for-profit insurance companies. So what they've got is these, they negotiate drug prices between, <laughs> between manufacturers and wholesalers, uh, multiple health plans between the government, private, self-insured, and they generate huge amounts of money. Now the information I've got is they, they, they make about <laughs> $300 billion a year out of five income streams. And I don't understand this stuff very well because I don't, I'm not one of these, I've never been an administrator and I've probably been never good in much of my professional career about just making money. Well, I don't think anybody understands it very well and they don't want you to no, understand. No, absolutely. Uh, they get rebates. So this is this is, uh, and again, I'm a little bit foggy about this, but this is, this is a, a to some kind of way of sharing local sales tax. They there's a thing called a pharmacy spread, which I this again is something I, and the difference between what the pharmacy benefit manager pays to the pharmacy when the drug is purchased, and how much the pharmacy benefit manager pays charges the employers. Uh, uh, the, they, they, whether they own pharmacies, they administrative fees, they have du- direct DIR fees, which is, is money taken from the pharmacy for filling Medicare uh, uh, prescriptions. And, and then there's, there's performance related to, uh, and again, this is, this, this is so confusing, I don't think anybody knows what, go, what, the, well, what these folks are And it's different for different companies. For yeah. example, Walmart may have a different deal than Kroger or CVS and, uh, or, or the private pharmacies. The private pharmacies are usually hurt the worst because they don't have negotiating power. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you really want to figure out... Um, or how that affects you, 
uh, call around or go around with a uh, drug that you're taking and see what the different prices are at different drugstores. And if you ask the pharmacist why it's different, I've done that, and uh, their answer is almost always, I don't know. Yeah. Well, again, we, we, we're, we're, so so far, so far we've we've just we've just we're just scratching the surface. These are three examples uh, of of uh, the, the for-profit health insurance company pharmacy benefit managers of of the kinds of 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 activities in healthcare in this country that aren't focused on providing healthcare but are focused on uh, siphoning profits out of this system the details of which Gene refused to earlier okay now, so give me give me a little short uh, uh, explanation of uh, direct contracting well i was about to do that <laughs> <laughs> All right, so th th these these um, uh, entities these are middlemen again, and and they were established by by the Trump administration, and unfortunately, the, the well at least fortunately the the, the um, format that they were using during that administration has changed, but there is still some variant variant of it still floating around in the current administration. So they are the they are a middleman between um, Medicare, a very efficient system that has a two percent administrative costs and spends eighty nine percent or ninety eight percent I'm sorry of the revenue that comes through it on health care. So they're a middleman between uh, other medical entities. It could be a physician group. It could be a hospital health system or something like that. So the goal is very simple. It's an attempt to privatize Medicare without involving Congress. Congress established Medicare back in the 60s, and, and, and this is a way to kind of sneak it around the back door. Uh, and it's a new, mo new, new um, uh, business model. And um, I've listened to multiple podcasts about this, and... and uh, again, this this is a, a focus on healthcare as a commodity, uh, and then every one of these podcasts, the focus is on the profit uh, sharing uh, content of this as opposed to providing healthcare. So most of these um, uh, direct contracting entities are Wall Street inventors, uh, investors, their hedge funds. Basically, the wolves of Wall Street are now looking at Medicare as opposed to health care in general. And they promote they, the slogan of, quote, value-based care, unquote. And, and so the way this works is that if you, let's say you're in a large primary care practice and you have maybe let's say 40% of the practice are Medicare patients. And they identify that there's X amount of dollars is, is Medicare dollars to provide care for these 40% of the patients in that, in that, in that, um, that, that physician group. <clears throat> so they, they then will, will 
uh, negotiate with that physician group to um, uh, set up a, a system of care, and then based upon the, the health status, the morbidity and health status of all these patients, they, they, they can identify a, a number and, and that of the, the dollar amount that that practice would get from providing the care for these patients. So what they suggest is that if that uh, practice can provide that care for less than that amount, whatever that is, then they, the direct contracting entity, and the practice will share that. So what the, the, the essential goal is to inject the profit uh, extracting influence into providing health care. We're running out of time, Mark. Got about a minute and a half. Okay, well, I think we'll just leave it there. These, what we've tried to do today was provide some examples of how, <laughs> how health care in this country uh, you know, has been hijacked by an assortment of different profit-seeking entities. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, we are here because we are are, are, are promoting a, a single-payer health care system which would make, basically make m much of these kinds of activities not relevant to the provision of care in this country. Gene, you want to make any final comments? I'm, I think I'm done. Well, we can still have a single-payer uh, system that doesn't uh, f fit the uh, socialized system like in England. We could do like they do in Switzerland and Germany uh, where the patient has choice, and they even have choice with a nonprofit insurance company. But we could eliminate uh, the uh, huge profits, and we can turn it back into a profession. Okay, guys, thanks again for your insights and all the information. Our listeners can learn more about Kentuckians for single-payer health care by going to kyhealthcare.org, kyhealthcare.org. We have a ton of information about the system uh, currently and about our proposals there at the website. You can also access the Facebook page that uh, Kay Tillo and Harriet Seiler keep up to date. Kay Tillo is our chairperson. You can contact Kay directly at nursenpo at aol.com, nursenpo at aol.com. For Single Payer Radio, I'm Mark McKinley. Thank you very much.